Cheers, everybody, and welcome to your favorite late night Friday night hashcast. I am one of your hosts for Groly and our other panelists, Pedro Scrotum and Superior Buds 420. We are streaming every Friday night at 11 p.m. Eastern time on all your favorite platforms, including YouTube, X, and Twitch. Uh, make sure you throw in comments as we go, throw in some questions for your panelists and your guests tonight. And uh, we'll be able to see them regardless of what platform you're on here on the back end. And we'll get to them as soon as we can. Tonight is our guest, Nick Rackhams. He is uh, going to be introduced by Pedro. Let's go. <laughs> I, I don't want to get too far into it. I, I could, I could already <laughs> start going. Good. That's <laughs> so, yeah, I have the pleasure of, of introducing you, Rack. So hopefully I, uh, hopefully I do you justice, man. Um, this man is known for his freaking beach sand hash to his... To his creamy freaking golden rosin flows, to his creamy ass golden cold cures, to his his clear THC rod, THCA rods, to his mechanical separation um, education, to his jams, to I mean the list kind of goes on and on and on. <clears throat> Man, I've looked up to in the industry for quite a long time. Uh, I've learned a lot from him from just watching and from actually reaching out to him um, personally on a consulting basis. And uh, I've had the opportunity to interview him before and been preparing for it all week. I'm pretty excited to interview him again. Uh, welcome, Nick Rackhams. Well, we'll, up, call him, we'll call him Nick and or Rackhams, but what up, Rack? What are you, how are you guys doing tonight? Cheers, man. Hey, man. Thanks for joining us. Definitely. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. It's always um, great to have someone it, dedicated to the education of, uh, you know, this plant, especially when it comes to all of our favorite things, hash. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm a student in, in, in and of myself, so this is, uh, this is exciting. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, we talked about that a little bit last week about trying not to consider you. I mean, you can call yourself a master. You can be called a master and whatnot, but I never like to consider myself a master because when I do that, it kind of caps me from learning anything more you know absolutely says i'm the absolutely. best of the best you know i will never I say that i will learning. never i will never understand that i'm i'm never not learning whatever it is i'm doing i hope i'm not because i think it's boring <laughs> <laughs> exactly man <clears throat> what are you smoking on tonight bro um i'm actually smoking on this uh this terp sauce from my buddy that gave it to me at a sesh it's uh he actually it was interesting he took some of his uh terp fraction from his cold cure so i guess cold cure is the wrong term because okay. obviously mm -hmm. you know if, if you cold cure something you're not going to have a terp layer on the top so it was his heat assisted uh cure and he got a terp layer he poured that off put that off into his i think a fridge or just a cold room and forgot about it started mm -hmm. to crash and oh, actually shit. started yeah it started to crash and make uh it started to form crystalline structures thca or uh diamonds whatever you want to call them and he jarred it up and he brought it to a session that i went to uh, recently why he was excited to show me i was like dude that's amazing that I've, I've actually seen that myself in uh previous acts uh happy accidents but right. it's cool that uh starting to see other people kind of catch on to it as well so he gave me a little jar of it mixed a little bit of this with some cbn from Flying Lion, hemp derived CBN. Um, holy shit, CBN is the next level, dude. Don't, don't go to I sleep heard. on us during this podcast. I swear, <laughs> <laughs> I'm more of a CBG guy. This is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely helps me get to sleep. 
Um, it doesn't like I talked about this with uh, Colin Vessel Life Science on a Future Cannabis Project a couple nights ago, um, and I kind of agree with them. It definitely helps me get relaxed to the point where I could go to sleep, but it doesn't keep me in that sleep mode. Um, I think there's something to be said about uh, cannabis when it's when people don't think about it, it, but cannabis is a sedative, right? At the end of the day, it's a sedative. It's not so. And to be to to be sedated is not to actually go to sleep. It's different. It's a different type of sleep, you know. So we have to remember that you're that cannabis is sedating you in a sense when you're when you're doing that, and it's actually not, not helping you go get into like a REM, a REM sleep or anything of that nature. So <laughs> most most of the time, I don't like to I don't like to smoke, especially uh, a dab, if you will, I'm rosin before I go to bed. Mm-hmm. I just generally don't. I, a couple hours before I go to bed, for sure. I mean, podcasts like this are an exception, of course. But, you know. Totally. Yeah, I, I, I definitely uh, do, but the wife can't. It'll keep yeah. her awake. Yeah, I, I got to have yeah, a certain type. Uh, the, the the type, and speaking of types, man, the types of uh, strains I tend to grow over here are the types that will that are like more anxiety inducing, mind racing, not the sed- sedatives type ones. You know, I I definitely uh, grown and processed those. Um, some of my favorite ones like along like kind of the the white lineage you know like white lotus white diesel all those things white diesel was one of the most i'll call it narcotic um because i do think sedative sedative however you say it (laughs) potato potato um is there's definitely a category for that in this uh you know in cannabis too um but that was one of the most narcotic ones and i don't have a whole lot of strains like that in my palate right now which is why i'm trying to expand it i think that that cobra milk is kind of leaning into that a little bit more but i grow a lot of these like sativa type you know 9 10 11 weekers that are super high in like terpenaline and uh, of the hazy citrusy type mm. variety whatever you want to call it you know i know sativa word but yeah yeah it's man. one of my and favorites it, it is my favorite and so i tend to grow a lot of strains that have have that as a dominant terpene and um, they all tend to be that kind of mind racy, keep you up, whatever, you know, the opposite. But there's that's the beautiful thing about this plant, man. The the turf profiles and the, the effects you get, not only do they vary from strain to pheno and uh, so on, they also vary on each person, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it can affect it differently. Uh, how long you been doing this, man? Um, hash specifically coming up on about seven, eight years now. Uh, nice. Seven solid for sure. Um, prior to that, really no experience in the industry in in i mean in the culture yes obviously just growing up smoking uh and whatnot but all in all uh about seven years full throttle did Um, you grow beforehand or not a grower um never considered myself a grower until i met my wife uh my wife uh, was probably growing roughly about five plus years before i met her um we've been together for 10 years so She's the green thumb of the family. Um, she was actually nervous to if I would be concerned, or she was concerned that I that I wouldn't uh, be cool with her growing. Um, and just because my past life was automotive mechanics and whatnot, so dirty hands, clean money type of motto, and it wasn't because I wasn't into cannabis or or anything of that nature. It's just that that was just my my thought process, the way I was going back then. Um, so the guy who, one of the guys who introduced us, 
Uh, I remember this kind of vividly. She hit him up and asked him, I was like, you think he's going to be okay or like chill with me growing or whatnot? He's going to trip on it? He's like, dude, just just meet him. Just hang out. You know, he's chill. And the rest is history, man. I'm, you know, linked up with her. She showed me her grow. I was like, oh, shit, dope. Um, I'm into it. But long story short, we uh, started working or we moved in together, started living together for a little while. I was still in the automotive industry after I moved up here to the mountains where I'm at now, where she was at, and uh, got introduced to, I already knew about hash, traditional hashish and whatnot, loose resin. Um, Rosin started popping up on the scene about that time, maybe a little sooner. And uh, one of my buddies, uh, Bubs, Matty Bubs, shout out to him. He was the first guy to tell me about the hair straightener in a nug, and he saw it on Hash Church. You know, he saw saw a girl in Solvent was talking about it. And he told me the idea. I was like, well, let's try it out. So I grabbed one of the hair straighteners from my wife, which was a very expensive hair straightener, and dismantled it. And JB welded that to a bearing press that I had downstairs because I was a mechanic. So I already had a bearing press. And I was like, all right, well, let's see what happens. <laughs> and that was kind of the inception of Rackham's from that point. Um, it's interesting. It actually wasn't even Rackham's. It was... Uh, Rosin remedies. So I was going for the double R aspect of it. Um, which a lot of, yeah, rosin, the rosin remedies never came to fruition. Uh, it was just an idea. Then uh, Rackham's, which was our, is our dog, my son, you know, this guy. Um, he came into our life and his name was originally Barbosa. Uh, when he was, uh, when he was born. So, which is another old school captain, uh, pirate and quickly changed that around because that was too many syllables and decided to run with the Rackhams as the brand name, the brand name, just because it fit and it wasn't cannabis related. That's, that was the key that I was taught early on for as far as the business structures. Um, if you want to build something, you want to, especially in the cannabis industry, it's usually better to have something that's not tied to the industry that you're working in, um, especially cannabis for obvious reasons. Yeah, and maybe don't like go ahead and just call your, you know, uh, edibles or your, your flavor packs or your mylar packs like Reese's or like Rice Krispie treats or just like using the Fruity Pebbles logo and like things like that. You know, like it tends to kind of come back and bite you in the ass. Yeah, being original. Kind of asking for it at that point. <laughs> yeah, for real. That, that blows my mind how many of those I see. That Budway logo looks like Subway. <laughs> As long as we're there, where did Rackham's come from? Um, well, aside from my son, uh, Rackham's was it, originally, uh, his name was, uh, is it's spelled differently, but it's originally a, a captain pirate from the 1700s. Uh, it was a real person. Uh, he was actually hung, um, put on trial and hung around 1720. Um, but he was a pirate in the Caribbean area. Um when one of the very first pirates and captains to allow female pirates on board as pirates and not just, you know, ladies of the night, if you will. Uh, so I got it. That was pretty cool. If you know about the show, Black Sails, Rackham's, uh, Jack Rackham's is in that, uh, that TV show kind of gives you an idea of, of, and he was just a very interesting character. And like when Barbosa was also in that TV show as well, kind of have a thing with pirates because we're also sailors as well. Uh, my my wife's father was original hashish tie stick pirate from back in the 70s and 80s. 
Um, he has since uh, passed away, uh, but he was probably more of the influence than anything else for why I do what I do. Um, yeah. So you That's touched cool. on it a minute before. <clears throat> Jump back for a minute and get into get into what I think a lot of the people here in the in the comment section are here for. Um, you alluded to the fact that you will not get a you quote unquote will not generally. I hate to speak in fucking absolutes because this plant is fucking crazy. But anyways, you generally will not get a turp layer with a with a true let's call it a true cold cure. And uh, that brings me to, you know, what is a cold cure? What is a warm cure? Um, how much of a, of a role does heat come into play with rosin and, the, and in the curing process and in the, the processing process, you know, playing with the hash, playing with the rosin? Let's go there. I just yeah, I mean, the, <laughs> yeah, I mean, to, to break it down uh, in layman's terms, I guess, the uh, the term cold cure is getting is, is thrown around quite a bit loosely. Like, let's just be honest about it. It really is because like, it's a it's a general term that anybody can just cling on to, you know, real quick. Um, but when you break it down, cold curing is literally taking your fresh press product uh, into a mason jar or any type of a collected jar that you have and ideally putting it in a very cold temperature room environment and or a fridge or freezer. Mm -hmm. um, and what's going to happen is your your fresh press is going to nucleate. Um, THGA is going to convert into a solid over time, and based like off of that temperature, be aware. But based of off of that temperature and time, the longer the time and the colder the temperature, colder the temperature creates the longer period of time. What, so, what would you consider the longer period of time? I mean, if you're in a fridge that's anywhere between forty to fifty degrees. Uh, that it could be weeks to months before you would see that that nucleation or that reaction happen from fresh press to, to cold cure um, where you get the kind of that marbling effect and whatnot. Now, the key is, is now people started to realize, well, I can't wait that long. So let me put it in my environment, my room, that's maybe 60, 65 degrees, 50 to 65 degrees instead of a fridge that's, you know, under 40, 45. Now, since you up that temperature, that time frame now shortens from instead of weeks to months to days to weeks. And then, then people realize, okay, well, there's something to that. What if I bump the temperature up to from 65, from 55 to 65 to 65 to 75, maybe 80. But now your time period stove. gets shorter. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's where, that's where I'm getting at. The, the longer, the, the higher the temperature, the shorter the time. And now you're, Decarbing unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, now, exactly. Now you're getting to hours or even minutes, you know, mm -hmm. and, but the cold cure term is, is just gone rampant. And whether you do a heat assisted cure or natural room temp environment cure, everybody's still going to put cold cure because yeah, of the negative connotation that everything else has when you talk about heat. And so what I mean, that's the question. What is the benefit to cold care? Why is that so popular? What is the scientific reasoning or the marketing behind it? I think, well, the, why is it so popular is probably because of the misconception of, of how can I say this properly without sounding like an idiot, but the misconception of uh, burning off terpenes. The degradation and, of terps. And, 
and other things as well. We, uh, let's call them BOCs because it's not just terpenes, the volatile organic compounds. There That's the key. That's what we're actually talking about here. We're not talking about just terpenes. We're talking about terpenes and other compounds. So it's, 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 yeah. So you're doing, you're doing, and, but the thing about it is your most volatile terpenes off gas between, which are monoterpenes off gas anywhere between 50 to 70 degrees Fahrenheit. So those are off gassing when you're harvesting. Those are off gassing when you have your hash out of your freezer on your table. If you don't want it. If you're smelling it, it's off-gassing. Damn right. So, Absolutely. I mean, it's really hard for us to have this whole process do to, to maintain of under 50 degree temperature through the whole entire press or process, washing, drying, packaging, prepping, pressing, curing, like all of that is really hard. Unless so, you go the BHO closed loop system route. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> totally different route though. <laughs> Absolutely. Totally different beast, 100%. 100%. But yeah, the, the cold cure is, uh, I mean, long story short, is uh, it's kind of a term that is getting bounced around loosely. And I think we need to be more specific with that and just make sure that the end user, the consumer understands what the difference is and why it is why what we say. I it's mean, been, it's been a self-defining thing that really, I mean, is getting to the point where it needs a definition. It needs a this temperature or lower is a cold cure period. Yeah. Hmm. So who gets to decide that? We're I know. Like, right. And who's going to in a solventless panel of, <laughs> I mean, I would say 60, maybe 55, but probably 60, man, you want a true cold cure. I've had shit sit in the freezer for over a fucking year, year and a half, two years. And it's fucking cured up. So what do we want to talk? That comes broke it up really well though. It was heat assisted, it was room temperature, and it was cold. That's yeah, kind I of mean, three categories. But, but when I'm out in my living room, I like to keep the room at like a nice 74, 78. And my studio here is like 65. So right. like what's room temp now? Now we, it's, it all comes down to definitions, right? It's all is variables it, again, right? Uh, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Is there a scientific definition for room temperature, like a base that they I think use? There might I don't know. Be actually, Where's I mean, I don't know if there's a scientific definition, but there's. I mean, it's probably just depending on what your what your current I bet environment you there's an ocean definition. is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the ocean, fucking a. I haven't heard that word in a while. Uh, yeah, right. Um, actually, yeah, maybe if I just type in ocean, I would bit. say sixty. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, somewhere between 60 65. Uh, that's kind of, I mean, between 60 and 70, to give it a broader range, is typically your room temp environment for any type of room. Yeah, I mean, so I would say below 60, generally, would, would be, be the definition cure. of a cold cure. Yeah, I agree. And let's, and let's be honest, not all my shit is cold cured. A lot of my shit fucking sits in my room because it's up 60, 65 and sits up here in a, in cool. a, in a, in a turp cooler that's broken. <laughs> let's go even further let's go even further that majority of people's product are not cold cured because if they waited that long they could not make money and profit from Absolutely. their product Absolutely. especially in legal markets no way in hell you cannot have your shit in the fridge for a month after it was made two months after it's made waiting for it to cure to package it like you got cod's you got to take care of you got everything else you have to take care of you need you need you need capital back from that product 
to pay your employees, to pay the bills, to keep the lights on. So that's just not feasible. Yeah, now, if you have enough of enough product to do a rotation to like get it crowned and cracking and then put some stuff in there, but that even still that takes time. Yeah. You'd and, have to, you'd have to have a month or two months of no income. So you'd have to, have I mean, I know, uh, I know jungle boys does it. They do, a, 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 I believe somewhere around a 55, 60 or 50, between 50 and 60 cold cure with a lot of their products, their dry sit frozen that they put out on the shelf, but they also have other SKUs that they can work with to kind of offset the, the, lack of income that that product's making at that point in time until it actually hits the shelf. So I don't know that exactly, but I just, I've seen that on social media and I've talked to them kind of briefly about it. I don't know the details, but that, that makes sense, but it's really hard for a lot of other smaller companies to be able to do that. So what do you prefer? Good call on water. <laughs> um, honestly, a room temp heat assisted cure, I've done all three comparisons. I mean, without having actual proper tests done for terpene content, I've, I've done them all side by side and ha I haven't seen much of a difference in terpene profile. That's actually noticeable. Keep it out of the light. I feel like, yeah, as long as you keep it dark and, and I mean, <laughs> even I have an oven that I work with, I have a vac, a vac oven with no vacuum act on it. I just, it's a lot more of a proper controlled environment yeah. than a toaster mm -hmm. oven. Mm -hmm. you know so I that's exactly what it. i do with mine man i i'm you know i i work, come from the hydrocarbon side i still operate on the hydrocarbon side but i don't pull a vacuum because i don't make shatter and if i'm pulling a vacuum under yeah. heat i'm destroying turf so what's you know yeah, what there's no need for it frozen. <laughs> i mean if i could uh if i can afford a, a legit proper scientific oven aside from this one that was donated to me i, I i'd have it but prior to that all i had was a um was a toaster oven, also a clone mat that I had to make a little incubator incubator mm -hmm. box for, you know, with insulation and shit. But um, any way to achieve the end goal is is the best option for me. And with this, I have so much product moving through that I need to keep it all on rotation. So the easiest way for me to do is just set that to a certain temperature, somewhere in that 65, 75 range. Sometimes I bump it up depending on like the reaction that's already happened off the press, I can go and tell if it's auto buttering, then I know it's going to cure up pretty quickly. If it's a, a lot more stable and less, um, not less terpene in a sense of that. It's not, it's still loud, but it's not, uh, as runny. So it's more stable. I know it's probably going to take longer, uh, to cure. So also that the clear tech now is a, is a big thing that's, uh, changing the way, that curing processes are happening as well because everybody's getting into clear tech and all that stuff, which is let's, let's jump into that. But real quick before we do, cause I want you to tell us about clear tech. I, I know nothing about it, but I, I did look up the definitions for room temperature and I want to share them because I think they're pretty entertaining to say the least. So yeah. the European pharmacopoeia and the world health organization, and this is from the GMP compliance website. So this might be specifically about like food or, you know, any, I don't know anything, but in regards to room temperature definition, it's f for those two organizations, it's organizations, excuse me, it's 15 degrees Celsius to 25 degrees Celsius, which is a range of about 59 degrees Fahrenheit. I was like, that's a very broad range. Yeah, it is. It is. But if you look at the uh, United States pharmacopoeia definition, it says temperature prevailing in a work area. 
<laughs> it's literally no numbers. It's just that. Because <laughs> it's so variable. It's yeah. Like, yeah. Your room yeah. temperature yeah. is the temperature of your room. Of your room. <laughs> yeah. the, the Japanese pharmacopoeia is even wilder. It says one degree Celsius to 30 degrees Celsius. So I don't know what's going on over there. But <laughs> yeah, I would definitely say that anything over, you know, sorry, anything over 70, especially 75, is most certainly heat assisted. Yeah. Because more than likely, jump and would probably jump it, it, over seventy five would jump out of the realm of of room temp, as far as I'm concerned. So I mean, unless you're by the, the equator, more than likely that room is being assisted by heat. I mean, depending on the season, depending on like if it's summer, sure, you yeah. have outside air, outside air temperatures affecting your room, which is causing heat. You know, it's Still just it's, heat, yeah. yeah, so. The, like I said, the, the, these terms are, are really being used loosely because they're yeah, too broad to narrow it down. How much does yeah. a, an enclosed vessel matter when it comes to this? Because clearly if we have an, a, a, we've all left a jar of, you know, extract open or, uh, either, you know, on a countertop or a desk or something for maybe a little bit too long and maybe see the butter <laughs> up or something, or, or maybe we left it in our car on a hot day and we're very upset about what happened after that one. Um, you know, how much does having an enclosed vessel while we're trying to do this post-processing matter? Because, uh, for me, I keep my oven at about 75 degrees. Um, now when I recover, it doesn't get, uh, you know, my, my hot water bath is set to 90 degrees, but because the way, uh, hydrocarbons work, they actually, you know, they're off gassing at like 15 degrees Fahrenheit. So, um, the solution itself is never getting to 75 degrees or, or 90 degrees, but it is in an enclosed vessel, which will build up some pressure. And in my case, help that process along. But in mm -hmm. terms of saving those terpenes, uh, even bubble man kind of said like, no, nah, they're not, they're kind of just recollecting on the top. They, you know, re-precipitate back down in the solution, whatever it was. Um, but that was always my biggest concern. It's like, how many terpenes are we losing once we introduce this heat? Can we kind of avoid that entirely by just having an enclosed vessel to do this post-processing? Or is it even maybe we leave it closed for a couple, you know, you said hours to weeks, depending on what the method we're doing. But um, is it, you know, are we only going to lose terps once we open it? You know, where's the... Um, the I think every time you open your your vessel, the vessel will be considered your mason jar or your jar of whatever you, you have. Um, I don't think I have any here, you know. It's just a, a jar, you know, whatever it is, a two ounce, one ounce, four ounce, eight ounce, whatever. Um, once every time you open that, it's off gassing because you're smelling it. So mm -hmm. it's, it, you know, unless it's out of the freezer, which I usually, if you take something out of the freezer or the fridge, I usually tell people to hold off a minute before they crack it open because it's really Absolutely. cold. So, you know, Thank you. you're not, it's not going to express um, itself properly. And I've had people actually crack them open while I'm saying that. And they smell like, I don't smell anything. Like, what did I just tell you? <laughs> right. And if you're, and if you're pulling it out of a refrigerator, I've, I've had to tell d dispensary employees like crazy. If you're pulling it out of a refrigerator, especially a colder one into an air temp or, you know, into a room temp, let's go there again, into a room temp environment. If you have condensation on the outside of the jar, and you open it, you now have condensation on the inside of the jar. Not you have now absolutely you have wet rosin. Yeah, um, I usually, uh, especially when I do toll process and I give a product back to a farmer, it's usually out of my freezer because it's stored there for long term purposes or whatnot. I 
and I've tried, if I'm traveling with it, it's in a cooler with ice blocks and things of that nature. So I usually tell them, recommend people to give it anywhere between a half hour to an hour before to, to allow that condensation that to get up to a room temp or close to room temp before you open it because of that specific fact. Last thing you want is that condensation to, to be pulled into the jar and then you don't realize it, you seal it back up and now you have moisture content, you know, in you your don't like it when your dabs sizzle, Rakums? <laughs> I knew I was going to do that once Dude, when at I, least. When, I, when I'm in a hurry, I'll come in and I'll grab my jar and I'll sit down here, put it in my, my little nut sack. There, totally. But back to up. the question. Um, I mean, there's something to be said when you take a jar out of like, I'm going to use my oven um, as in this, in this uh, explanation because it's kind of how I operate. Um, after I'm done pressing, everything goes either directly into a jar or I collect the rosin off the parchment, put it in a jar, and then it goes off to my oven that's set, that's set to that lower temperature, somewhere around that 65, 75 degree temperature. And I allow it to nucleate and, and cause its reaction. Once I'm satisfied with the reaction, I pull it out. There are times that if I'm in a rush or I have a lot of work to get done, I'll let them, I'll let them sit and get to my room temperature. I usually try to, when I'm dealing with packaging or mixing up jars, I keep my, my room temp somewhere in that same temperature as the, as the oven. Reason I like having the jars in the oven versus having it in my room temp is it's because it's more of a confined space and it's more of an even constant, uh, stable temperature than my room always fluctuating. And it's sealed. Uh, that, We're paranoid about contaminants. Okay, guys. <laughs> yeah. So once I pull them out, I, if I need to, I usually like to, when I whip them up, um, however, whether it's by hand or, you know, rosin evolutions mixer or whatever we have, um, I usually like to do it when it's slightly warm because it's easier. It's more malleable, the rosin Absolutely itself. Absolutely easier. Um, so it just makes it easier on my wrist, makes it easier on my hand. But there are times where I want that terp layer or those terpenes or those VOCs to kind of absorb back in to that rosin. Cause you'll, you'll probably see that you'll get like the, the top of the Mason jar kind of puffed up. Well, that's your, uh, that's your CO2 off gassing and that's all your other VOCs off gassing. So it's building that pressure, right? If you let it sit for a while, you'll actually be able to notice that you can pop that thing back down a lot easier because everything's kind of accumulated either back to the top layer or pulled back into the rosin. So, I mean, I don't have any scientific backing to, to, to go fall back on this because I'm not a chemist and I'm not a scientist by any means. So take what I say when it comes to scientific stuff with a grain of salt, but it's just my, with my experimentation, that's what I've noticed is you can, I kind of go both ways in that sense. I honestly do not think that you're losing an ex, any exorbitant amount of terpene profile or VOCs that are beneficial to the end product because anything that is going to be off gas is going to be off gas anyways. I usually use it as a, as a time frame, i.e., if I know this jar is going to sit around a little bit longer than this, like this jar I need now, but the other jar is going to sit around for a little bit longer, I'll just stick it in the fridge, and I might, I might even put it in the freezer depending on the length of time mm -hmm. we're talking about. You guys yeah, talked totally. about um, nucleation, and you know it depends. I'm sure you guys have similar, different but similar processes, like. I'll, uh, my, my main two live resin, fresh frozen products are sauce or batter, right? And that's mm -hmm. just a consistency difference. Um, yeah. And it's, it comes to the post-processing. It's whether I 
sit and wait for some pressure to build some crystals or i actively get in there and whip it and agitate it and you know batter it up uh, like you're saying nucleate it but you were saying how you know with a cold cure you're essentially leaving it in this vessel and waiting for it to nucleate and i know you know there's been a lot of videos posted on instagram and you know the internet of, of these things being done at like uh sped up but the jar is always closed and my question is why can't you just agitate it early on to speed up that nucleation process and i'm not saying necessarily under heat or anything um because obviously the terpene preservation is, is at least in my mind is key and kind of first and foremost but um, if all you're doing is waiting for it to nucleate or maybe homogenize to some extent, why don't you just do that manually? Talking about yeah. Like, so <clears throat> I used to tacky tappy I, tech. I definitely, I definitely used to. I used to do you know the tappy tech, um, and that's essentially what you're kind of talking about in a sense. For as far as uh, hatch makers or rosin producers are concerned, you take the fresh press and tappy tech it, stretch it out, just like a taffy maker would would and whatnot, and then you it's put that in the jar. And it's it's doing a couple of things. It's it's adding heat because of that constant stretching, Friction. and it's also adding oxygen as well. Um, oxygen is is kind of the key factor for the nucleation side. I also think that nucleation is probably a somewhat of a wrong term as well. It is going through uh, also phase change. I keep hearing phase change within the solventless world. Uh, the only time we ever use phase change is in the freeze dryer. That's it. Um, nothing ever, and, and our, nothing else in our process is actually physically a phase change scientifically. I just learned that this week too. Um, but then nonetheless, your fresh press that can, this can kind of lead into the clear tech avenue as well. Um, because the clear tech is the lack of those oxygen bubbles because of the way that the clear tech prep is, is managed. Can you imagine but, somebody doing clear tech and then doing a daffy tech right after it? Uh, that would just, I would be like, what, what are you doing? What's the point? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> you, just want, you, just want, you just want Instagram followers. That's all. Yeah. I mean, then we can get into that here shortly. But uh, <laughs> I mean, all in all, that's, uh, that is an option. And I used to do that, but I feel like there is a kind of a, at least for more connoisseur-esque type of uh, echelon of rosin, the taffy tech. If you're going for a cold cure specifically, then Taffy Tech can help you speed up that process. If you're going for a fresh press look or something uh, for, or a different type of consistency, I don't think that it's, it's, I don't think there's a point for it. Um, but that's what it does. It just speeds up the process. It just depends on like how quick do you need, need this stuff to do what you need it to do to get it finished, to put it into a finished jar and move it along. I pretty much stopped doing it. So um, have I. You know, you know, you inevitably do a little bit of the taffy tech, like in the collection process, right? Like you're yeah. going to introduce some air bubbles and whatnot. But you know, when I'm doing it, when I'm pressing up at Eden, I'm pressing directly into a jar. And Same. although it, I, I love covering this too. Although it looks like we're doing clear tech up at Eden, we are not doing any clear tech up at Eden at all. At least to the, today's community definition, which would be vacuum sealed. So yeah. there's no vacuum sealing going on, especially in a commercial process. You know, I just talked with this with the Bryantist, actually. Um, you know, you, scalability. We've talked about scalability a, a lot, you know. And, and if you, if you, whatever, if whatever see like how much five, 
10, 15,000 grams of hashes bagged up. And imagine trying to put that into a machine to controlled vacuum seal it's just it just doesn't work and for what you're getting no. in the end because you're either turning it into fucking carts or you're turning it into batter anyways at the end the the small little bit that you ever turn it into fresh press is is like negligible basically so in the community and, and in the commercial market you just don't do it at all no there's no point it's a waste of time all right, I you mean, guys, especially like 50 times now. Rackhams, can you please walk us through what this is? Yeah, means? do that. I'm going to take a day. I mean, ClearTech has been yeah, around yeah. for quite some time. It's just now coming to fruition within, or coming to light within the community itself. Uh, but essentially, explain it take... to me and, and our other viewers. Yeah, like, totally. Don't process water hash. <laughs> yeah, you, so you take, uh, you take these, you know, you take these bags. Shout out Rosin Evolution one more time. Uh, you take these bags. Fill them with hash, and then you probably double bag or triple bag, depending on your process and your SOP. And then you take that, once you have that puck, you kind of give it a little bit of a press to kind of make the hash a little bit more malleable, hoping that your hash is uh, greasy and not super dry and shitty. And then you take that, put it into a vac seal bag, and you vac seal. Oh, look at that drip, boy. Get me all shitty. <laughs> you thought I was gonna let it go I mean, all the way, didn't you? <laughs> you're, if you press a hash bag and it and it still falls apart like sand, and and even with small amounts of hands, I I want to talk to your farmer or talk to yourself if you are the farmer because you might not have gold there, buddy. You might have bronze. Um, but in, but back to it, that you know, you put those bags filled with hash into a vac seal bag and you pull vacuum on it. And what that does pulls all of the oxygen out of the bag, obviously, but it compresses the bag down at the same time. And then if you had some really, really proper full melt hash or really high, sick, high star grading hash, it'll almost to the point, almost liquefy. It'll just grease up. So then you'll have that puck completely greased up, ready to go. And you put that in your press. And the next thing that'll happen because there's no there's there's now the absence no of oxygen pockets. within that puck, no no more air pockets, no more bubbles. It comes out uh, crystal clear and translucent. So that is by definition clear tech. Is that where you're getting these? I almost call them golden rods, but they're like just THC a rods. How how do you get these beautiful? Let me. I'm gonna pull this back. That's up a whole and, holy shit. You opened up a totally different process. If you go into my page, you can probably scroll down a couple, a few posts, and see what clear tech kind of looks a, like. It's oh yeah. I mean, I was I was talking yeah, about Pedro's uh, Pedro. Everything that Pedro pushes out is pretty much looks like clear tech. Is this clear tech? That's cold <laughs> cure. That's cold, cold cure. cure. I'm gonna find yep. it. That's uh, let's take that back. Let's cured rosin, not cold cure. Good call. Good call. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you can keep going down. Those are those are turbine. Yeah, that one, the video right below that one, below that one, that's kind of uh, clear esque, I guess you would say. Yeah, okay, okay, I see. If I if we were to shine a light on from the side of that or from the back, you wouldn't see any bubbles. Yeah. Yeah, that's essentially what we're talking about when we're talking about clear tech is the absence of bubbles. The, the community has put the the definition of on, on it of vac sealing, <clears throat> but you can achieve, and here I'm going to give away some shit here. Let's see the 89 people we got in here. <laughs> you can achieve 
a clear tech ish, not even ish, you can achieve clear tech pressing as long as you monitor and control your pressure, time, and temperature mm -hmm. accurately to to remove the air pockets from the hash while it's liquefying into rosin. And that's how I achieve the presses that you see. Totally. At Eden. I imagine. And I would imagine that that's a so. specific amount of time that, that that takes before it actually even comes off of the press. Like before you oh, actually physically see it come out. Like, no, I'm not asking. I'm just assuming that that takes a specific amount of time. So like um, a warm-up stage, let's call yeah. it. Um, it, it, I call it, depends it variables. It depends on how how melty, how greasy the the hash is. Yes. It depends on how thick the pack was pucked. The, the pack was pucked. The puck was packed. Um, unfortunately, slash fortunately, working in the commercial environment, I don't control some of the, I try to, but, you know, I lose control of some of those variables. People make their the, the, the pucks a little too thick, a little too thin, and that – um, definitely plays a role into how fast you see the oil. The the thickness of the oil itself, the consistency of the oil itself, will mm -hmm. affect how how fast it comes out. Looking at the 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 press right there behind you, the angle in which your press is will affect how fast it comes out. The te the temperature in your room will affect how how fast it comes out. Terminator, yeah. Yep. 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 Um, man, I've used a lot of. Um, you just told so yeah, all, all variables, and again, I think right back to what Rackham says is although it's pretty and although it looks great, and you get a lot of likes on Instagram, clear tech is really it's just it's 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 not necessary and it's a waste of time. If you're doing anything extra out of your processes to do clear tech and eventually just trying to achieve a cold cure, you're kind of just wasting your time. And especially if you're trying to just put out a, a, a cold cure. Now, that being said, to the devil's advocate of that is, you know, the people who do clear tech for that specific reason for fresh press. I mean, that's that's per a perfect. That tech is perfect to perfect way to achieve what you're after. Okay. You're after that translucent coin in a jar. That's going to stay that way you know, on the shelf at the fucking dispensary. It, it'll stay that way a lot longer for sure. And granted, you that call a lot longer because you know, a lot that's the unfortunate thing about is a lot of these dispensaries going right. from the legacy market to the legal market is they don't know how to store solventless mm -hmm. products. None of and them. or present, yeah, transport, have, store, present, sell, dude, all, all of it. it. <laughs> I mean, I, I've, I've been in two dispensaries so, so far in Northern California that have actually had cooled display cases. That their that their solventless sits in that that is kept at like under fifty degrees. Hey, can I yeah. can I can I just guess? And it maybe these dispos are just that well in tuned, but my guess is that there's a specific brand labeled on that hash cooler because I'm guessing that one of their vendors said, "Hey, if you're gonna carry our hash, you got to keep it in the cooler, <laughs> and we're just gonna give you one because we know how you're all just gonna do this." <laughs> Uh, one of them actually created it by the, the a custom a custom display case. It's like multi-tiered oh, nice, and everything. You've got nice. a big glass box. So everybody's oh, yeah. concentrates. All solvent and solventless are in this cooler. They just know what's up. They know they know what they're yeah. what they're trying to sell people and it needs to look a certain way for a long period of time because that display jar 
is going to sit there probably for months. Yep. (laughs) Yep. I know. It's an unfortunate, sad truth. Hey, I've got to ask you. Sorry, go ahead, Pedro. I mean, all depending on the market, the location of the dispensary, the literally the location, meaning the customers that are coming in. Um, they can sit there for a long fucking time, especially when you start talking about like fresh press or full melt hash, which is a whole nother fucking ball game. And, yeah. and, and anything of, of that upper echelon um, product. Mm-hmm. So, Rackhams, you, uh, let's see here, 15 weeks ago, posted this picture on Instagram and it's just mesmerizing to me. And you said nothing to <laughs> see here, you know? Says nothing to see here. <laughs> this is um, one of the things that hit I want you to explain this to me because this looks like something I want to put in my mouth, not in my lungs. What is this? <laughs> that is uh, more or less pure THCA, isolated THCA, solventlessly on this press. Uh, we're introduced to its terpene fraction, its high terpene extract um, from rosin. The precursor to that was uh, whole plant fresh frozen live rosin. Then I took that. I did my uh, mechanical separation tech to it. And what you see there, the crystalline structures, that's what they are. The crystalline structures, they are not diamonds. We don't make diamonds, but we use pressure to create this mechanically and manually. Um, our It's pretty much raw THCA. Um, that particular batch, if I remember right, is was from my double D's batch. Um, which is um, Tina mixed with uh, crossed with Constantine um, and also GMO, if I'm not mistaken. And Constantina, <laughs> I believe so. Yeah, something along those lines. It's three three different genetics in one. Um, I might be destroying those that lineage, so I apologize for anybody who does know. Um, but that's that rosin there. We ended up the, those THCA diamonds raw without the terpene fraction tested at about ninety four and a half percent THCA. Nice. nice solventlessly. So let me be the guy on the other side of the fence. So you just took rosin, perfectly separated, good rosin, mind you, perfectly good rosin, <laughs> yes. separated it into THCA and then and its terpene fraction. And how, how do how do we do that? Just real brief, like it's just time. Okay, okay. We just time, time and pressure and and time mm-hmm. temperature pressure definitely. Yeah. Yep. Crazy mix and a crazy control, um, crazy read on the oil. Um, a lot of a lot of experience goes into that. That's well, why would I you think say- I kind of uh, know where you're going with that question, Pedro. Though, like, what's the point? Yes. Yeah. You, so yeah. I mean, just to explain to the, to the followers. You're taking rosin, a beautiful, sometimes just gorgeous rosin. You're separating it into the THCA and then the rosin or the, the, the terpene fraction, and then you're putting them back together in a different consistency. Why? Yeah. You just answered your own question. A different consistency. Now, uh, initially, it was by accident. Um, I did a. Uh, second press on something that was really what I didn't know at the time was really high in THCA. Um, and the A stands for acid for anybody who doesn't know. There's THC and there's THCA. THCA is a precursor to THC. Um, though this acid form is one of the only compounds, uh, molecules in, cannab- in cannabis that uh, can turn into a solid. CBD also has an acid form as well. Um, but CBG. back to the question. Yep, CBGA, that all of those can, at the right parameters, turn into a solid or be isolated, just like 
the THCA that we're doing uh, solventlessly. But I did it on accident with the second press. And the reason I found out is I took the second press out and I opened up the parchment. And I'm sure you've seen this, Pedro, as well, and a lot of other makers that are in the chat. But you've been on accident, happy accident, there was just white film on the top of the bag or on the bag. And I pulled it out. I was like, what the fuck is that? Like, is that some like pesticides or like I had no idea. I was like, what the fuck's going on? Luckily, I had a couple of chemist friends uh, that were one of the one of the guys was the very first creator of the of the drip drip down press or um, drip tech um, Elysian research, if I'm not mistaken, back when we all got started. They no longer exist, but he's a pretty knowledgeable chemist. And I talked to him. He's like, that's THCA. So he explained it and broke it down kind of just how I did as far as what the THCA is. And it all started to click and make sense. He's like, you can recreate that. If you take your rosin and you drop your temperature to this certain temperature that is around the point that THCA does turn into a solid, um, you can actually isolate that potentially because he didn't know for sure. But with his background, he's like, try this out and check it out and see if it works. And I did. And it worked. Heated heated enough to separate the terpene fraction Mm -hmm. and to turn it into a solid without decarbing. Yeah. So we often talk about how water is one of those few, not elements, because it's a combination of them, but, uh, you know, there's there's a few things in our world that can go from solid to liquid to gaseous form. It seems like THC slash THCA uh, and uh, some of these other uh, cannabinoid compounds like CBD, CBN, other ones we mentioned they all have similar properties to that and then they can go from a solid to uh or liquid to solid to gaseous form um just based on the temperature alone right um Mm -hmm. there's water seems so much more simple though (laughs) you know (laughs) it just seems like yeah if i could just fill an ice cube tray full of my weed plants and then out comes like a brick of you know i don't know some terpy cbga or something like that'd be great but um it's so it's just this thin film is there a way to like mass produce this is it just by doing it for that that certain temperature and time and after you do that and you peel off this layer are you then i assume going in for another press at a higher temperature to kind of squeeze out the rest yeah to kind of give a, a kind of a quick roundabout breakdown of it so the backing up a little bit the rosin itself that you're going to in turn separate needs to be a specific type of consistency in order to achieve the separation uh, you can't take really unstable, really gooey, greasy, sticky rosin. Think that you're going to put that in a pouch or wrap it in a in a in a in a bulk or piece of mesh. Uh, five micron mesh is what I use, um, and expect that to isolate um, as much THCA content as you would if something was like a dry cake batter consistency. So from there, the drier the rosin, the better. Uh, you take that. You put that, you drop your temperature down to a way lower temperature that you originally pressed the rosin at. So let's just say if you press the rosin at 180, um, you're typically going to be in the low hundreds to start this process. And what that allows is it allows the the high terpene uh, fraction to liquefy and start to sweat and separate 
from the THEA, while at the same time, the THEA is now solidifying into a solid and staying inside that micron mesh. Uh, from there, you slowly increase your temperatures and your times by increments uh, either designated by yourself with experimentation or a specific SOP. And slowly but surely, those terpene fraction starts to liquefy even more, and you're still keeping it under that temperature you originally pressed at. Um, it allows that separation to happen. The pressure now has been increased tenfold at that point. So using your pressure in conjunction with that heat increase allows that liquid terpene fraction to slowly fall away from the THCA. So by the time you're done, you are now left with what essentially looks like a sheet piece of sheetrock inside your T your micron mesh. Like legitimately looks like a, a brick of sheetrock and also feels like it too, if you've achieved uh, what you are expecting to achieve. So, dude, so then you have your two fractions. It's so funny. And I mean, I just typed into the chat and everything, but I mean, the show is called variables and that is, there's so many fucking variables that come into play when doing mm -hmm. that separation. But <clears throat> nonetheless, I want to take a step back. I hope that you, I was hoping that you had covered this as well, but I don't, I didn't want to take away from the work and the and the experimentation and and the tech that you brought to the community in that when i was asking that question um regarding separation and uh, separating and putting it putting it back together there is inherently an, an opportunity when they're separated to not use the same terpenes that came off yes. of this thca so yeah, now we got kind of uh we got we got forced ahead so the whole purpose of, for me, to end that that short little rant I was on, the sole purpose for me to to do this and move forward with it and experiment more and achieve a final process is to give my end user a different skew or a different consistency. Honestly, that was it. It was a, it's more of a refined uh, recipe, if you will. Now you take this this single broad spectrum micron, full spectrum micron, which once again should not exist in the solventless realm, full spectrum term. Um, but you have those multi-micron uh, hash rosin, which is perfectly fine to sell as is and to, to move around and to gift and to wear and smoke as is, just like that, totally fine. But if you take that and you do the mechanical separation, now you've given yourself not only one skew, but three skews. Because now you have your cold cure, now you have your terp fraction, which is still viable more times than not, and now you have your THCA fraction, which is usually more towards, I usually like to, to introduce the high THCA fraction for people who smoke every day, all day and can handle it or medical patients. Uh, there's a really big benefit to medical side. I don't know the specifics of it. I just had other bio essays report back to me and find that they've had a lot of ailments uh, mitigated with uh, a high THCA dose. But that's that's really it. it. On one hand, you can say it's a novelty and it looks cool and it's for the gram. On the other hand, you can say that there's total medicinal benefits for it. But at the end of the day, it's just more skews for the end user. Oh, it's, it's true. Uh, real quick, Pedro, I, I wanted to share with him um, kind of the, the similar concept, right? More skews. You either get the diamond or the turf fraction, right? The okay. same same kind of concept on Perfect. the hydrocarbon. And see, with this, with that right there, I'm assuming that that turf fraction still has a high percentage of THC content in it. Definitely. Even yeah. though it, even though it is a turf fraction, see, with my turf fraction, 
the whole goal of the mechanical separation is to separate that psychoactive compound from the terp fraction. So typically, if you were to have the, the terp fraction tested, you're going to have a low, very, very low psychoactive percentage in there. And that's just because of the, of the process. But you can still use that for different avenues. You can mix it with other diamonds. You can mix it with other terpene fractions and create a new unique terp profile. You can put it in carts if maybe somebody just wants to have more of the flavor and the aroma and less of the high. There's that option too. You can always take some of the, the THCA and decarb it down into a liquid, which is kind of hard because of just the way of that compound and those molecules. Um, but you can take that and mix it back into the TH or into the terp fraction for a specific amount of THCA percentage or THC percentage, active THCA, THC percentage. You take your food grade and separate the shitty ass turds. There's that too. THCA <laughs> and either you can polish a turd in solventless, 100%. Right. Um, and that's also for a specific reason, because you might have that food grade that has, you know, really planty or earthy aroma or just smells like like straight up wet grass. Yep. And but it or still has lime that. skunk terps and you uh, whip it right into a frosty on top of some lime. <laughs> <laughs> like, but you still have that uh, that THCA content. So what do you do with it? Yeah, you can make you can decarb it and activate it and put it in edibles or or make a somewhat of an RSO solventlessly. But. Yeah. If you know this, uh, if you know this tech, you can now take that unviable product and turn it into a viable product, especially if you're in the white market and show your boss that you can, you know, you can literally polish a fucking turd and yeah. still save the day. So yeah, well, it's, did it's like from the start, we've been trying to utilize every single bit and part of this plant. So when it comes to like hash and, and these different processes and, uh, consistencies at the end of the day like yeah we don't have to throw away any part of it you know sorry pedro no i don't even remember what i was going to say so you're good <laughs> no i mean that's what it's all about market out the there the for day, everything it's all about consistencies and how oh, many you can achieve um i mean some people are stuck in their way and fresh press is the only way that they will ever operate period and, and more power to them i have no diss on that no no hate at all um, because we're all our own artists and our, we all have our own craft. Um, but at the same time, for me personally and my brand, I would personally like to have as many viable options as possible on the table for my end user um, with even with a single cultivar for that matter. So never go yeah. commercial then because if you start yeah. getting investors and people with like a board <laughs> they're gonna tell you no uh let's see this makes us the most money so just fire on just all cylinders in that lane <laughs> no when I was that's what i'm here to try to to try to break because with my consulting and kind of going to that realm especially moving forward into 2024 my goal is to be able to show labs maybe not the the big huge commercial scale aspect but you know normal everyday labs uh, that are, are under a normal average workload that they can make, they can take this single batch of product from a single cultivar and turn it into A, B, C, D, E, F, G consistencies. Now you have, instead of one skew, now you have six skews from the same plant and you can recreate that more often than not with different cultivars. Now, not every cultivar will allow you or give you those, those six skews, but a good amount of them will. You know, depending on the type of tech that you're using. Uh, and you know what? The stuff that takes longer to, to, you know, and more labor intensive on the processor's end, 
that's that's fine if you create a little bit less of it it's just going to become more of a craft kind of niche product you know what i mean and maybe if it catches on there becomes more demand for it and then you you know spend more time creating it or whatever it's just you kind of ultimately let the market decide but it's cool that you have so many options you know yeah um, do you think there's like what's what's the it seems like rosin pens are like for the, for all of 2023 i've just been all over like crazy and maybe before that too but i i just see them all over on instagram all along <laughs> all over faces um, they're all the yeah and, and just like rebrand it every which way <laughs> it's just it's crazy it reminds me of like the dislet pens when they first came out and they just took the market by storm because uh, i think still to this day them and pre-rolls are the the most uh purchase products because they're just out of convenience convenience yeah yeah but when it comes to solventless side the solventless side of things what do you think is going to be like the next product or where do you think it's going next do you have any predictions on that side of things well i mean carts will be the next big part of our our big movement um and our culture and the industry in itself when it comes to manufacturing for sure I don't think uh, there's enough manufacturers at the forefront to actually open it up to people understanding and accepting solventless carts like they do uh, solvent extracted carts because um, the just the hardware quite isn't a hundred percent there yet. Now that being said, there are companies who are focusing more on the viscosity of rosin after it's decarbed or put it into that liquid state uh, because it is different than a solvent-based product. It's a lot more viscous. It's a lot thicker of a product. However you cut it, it always, or not like physically cutting it, but however <laughs> you, know, it, but you know, however you want to look at it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, it, it just is. Red, uh, live resin, it will always be a lot more fluid than a, a live rosin that's decarbed and liquefied especially at room temperature, always. Like that one you just showed, was that a live resin of some sort, the drip jar that you showed earlier? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, that's live resin. That's a combination of three different strains of mine. And what what would you say your room temp is right now where that's sitting? Ooh, it's warming up because I'm live streaming in here, but uh, probably right now, uh, 70 degrees maybe. It'll yeah, if, you had a, if you had a live rosin that was, that was liquefied and decarbed, and ready for cartridges or edibles, it probably would not run like that. Uh, it probably would take a minute and eventually do it, but not that quick. That was not um, That's just a fresh batch of live resin. Yeah, that yeah exactly. Yeah. Leftover. But I will say, uh, I think it was last week I came on here and I showed, I've since used it. Sorry, Pedro. But I, uh, I showed a jar of decarbed live resin and I took a spoon and it was just pouring and uh you know pedro's just like why the hell do you just have that sitting around without a lid on it and, blah, blah. and i had i actually had two lids on it but I, I you know it's a it was a fun experiment and i don't normally decarb a live resin product like that to put into an edible um i'm normally using like a trim or just you know whatever just leftover kind of you know mix whatever i just call it food grade you know um but yeah. like a pure whole plant fresh frozen live resin run i don't typically do that um and that's how it turned out. They even fully decarbed. It turned out into this very drippy kind of viscous substance. But it reminded me of like a decarbed rosin that you put in a pen. I'm kind of like this could just go right into a pen. I feel like you know. Yeah. Um, I threw it in edibles, but you know that was my choice. <laughs> 
Yeah, the the the, D, the D card rosin is more or less what I was getting to is if you were to sit that on your stainless steel table in your lab and your lab's around sixty to seventy degrees, it's not going to run like that live resin. Yeah, oh, it yeah. has it has to be warmed. It has to be warmed up in order to fill the carts. It's got to be warmed to 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 handle. Um, it just has to. There, now there are certain cultivars that will give you more of that runnier consistency, uh, but it's really far and few between. And What's the People reason? What is the cultivar giving that? I think it's more of a, a more VOCs, more more terpene content, more the oh, solvents. I agree. You know, more solvents in the aspect of uh, terpenes and and other type of cannabinoids in that ma in that manner. It seems like THCA or THC in general wants to be more of a solid, more like you know sludgy type moving thing, and then the more terpenes you get in there, the more solvent like, the more liquid, the more flowy it gets. You know, so yeah. It seems yeah. Like do we all here agree on the panel though <clears throat> that there are so there is a there's a point in which there's too much terpenes especially for vaping or yes. smoking consumption yes there definitely could be too much and i i think that uh that there's a <laughs> bring up osha i think there's a literal osha regulation for that i think there's um, a, a limit for people with maybe uh sensitivities or uh, things like asthma and then yeah. i and then i think i fall somewhere in between that you know what i mean there's a very wide range of like what you might want and that's really ultimately what it is it's kind of like what you want i mean a simple fact of that is that i while i'm in the while i'm in the lab doing either washing or prepping for pressing the wife walks in here she can probably only maybe spend five to 10 minutes in here and she's got to leave because she starts wheezing and I'm, I don't have any type of asthmatic problems and she has a, somewhat of a severe lung issue and she can't be in here at all unless she's got a respirator on. And even then it makes it worse because then she struggles to breathe. So there is something to be said for that. I think it's also, uh, um, it also depends on your, structure and you're like like you said that it's just it's your kind of uh it's person to person but generally yes high terpenes are not necessarily good for you um they're solvents they're like would you take essential oils and put you know 20 drops of that in your dab rig and smoke it probably not it might hurt or not kill you but possibly damage your yeah, your exactly. esophagus and lungs it's like that's why people, when they have the essential oils and you, you put those into a cup of tea or something, it's what, maybe a couple of drops, you know, there's now what the number percentage is, that's still to be determined. But anything in the teens, when it comes to terpene content, yeah. I don't think that's good for you. You're starting to get to the point where it's like, holy shit, dude. Yeah. Especially depending on the terp specific terpenes, it mm -hmm. could, it could be, uh, right. it could be a bad terps. thing. And I mean, there's, there's, again, we're talking about so many fucking variables. Um, but there again, it's, it's terp, it's, it's person dependent. And um, it also depends on what temperature you're taking those dabs at too, right? Like if you're ripping like a 700 yeah. degree dab, you know what I mean? And you're rocking some 18 or even like a 15, 12% turb. I mean, I can't imagine that would not take everyone down, you know? <laughs> I disagree. I disagree completely with that. A hot dab, even with the high terpene content, is way easier on the lungs than a very low temp, high terpene content dab. I will stand by that. 
How really? Absolutely, mm. man. You get a low terpene, a low super terpene rich dab, like the Trop C that you're about to taste here in a couple days. Get that son of a bitch down to like that 480 range and it, 500, 480 range, even 460. And it fucking just makes you. Yeah. And then if I take the dab at, at, at I mean, you know, I won't go to 700. I know 700 is an extreme. So yeah, maybe 700 is an extreme. Yeah, we're we're yeah. jolly only in there. <laughs> maybe know. it doesn't matter at that what the, the terpene levels are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I'm talking like when I talk a hot dab, I'm talking, you know, 650, 620, you know, in that range where it's it's definitely hot, but it's not Chaz in the fucking banger. Yeah, um, yeah. That to me, and there are times when I, I like a hot dab. I prefer a hot dab. But there's other times when I'm sitting around when it's like kind of sewer, like you're drinking your wine at, at home at night when when you got a you you know you want to you want to sip your wine, so you take a low temp dab, or fuck it when, when you're going out on, on break and you need to take a one big hit to get your ass back in and press a bunch more fucking rosin, you take a warm dab and you're done, you get back inside, you know. So there's yes, it's kind of uh, and that's also back to your bio essay and how you, how you react to these to these compounds. Um, my, one of my good friends from back in the day, uh, he, me and him would smoke every day before we went to work. And we were like, uh, professional janitors in a sense where, where the commercial building would be built. It's brand new. And we're cleaning it out to get it ready for the, the customer who bought, purchased the building to move in. And we're sitting there sweeping it, sweeping up all the construction stuff. And we had just smoked the blunt. And this is way before dabs were around, at least dabs, what we know of today. And this guy is just like on it, going to town, going to town, put the, just like he, he did other, you know, uh, products other than cannabis. Oh, and, gotcha, gotcha. And for me, I'm just like, oh, can we go home yet? And he's like, dude, it's only been two hours. Like, I'm done. I'm just done. And that's because we, we've smoked, you know, probably some really high THC flower or whatever it was mixed with the mixed with the tobacco. But relating that over to dabs for me. I personally enjoy nothing but low temp dabs because I'm more of a flavor person than I am the the psychoactive side. I know that I'm going to get that psychoactive side regardless because of mm -hmm. what I'm consuming, but I'm also trying to recreate that that profile as best as possible from what it was uh, what stemmed off the plant, you know. So are you on a top cold that, start guy or uh, what, what time are you going in at? Most um, if I'm using glass, I usually do a cold start, uh, but typically I just stick with this old, old yeller here. I mean, mm -hmm. this is my daily driver and I am flimsy with glass and I just, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't fuck with glass very often. Uh, more respect to you, Pedro, for having all that shit because yeah, I'd probably hard. break half of it. Yeah, like, uh, for 450, before, between 450 and 480 is kind of where I keep my, my, yeah don't even get don't ever give that to me ever. <laughs> i've handled one rig that was a 40k rig and i was scared shitless holding it just love them, dude. <laughs> yeah i mean i'm i'm all about it more respect to you guys but i that's i have one custom rig custom rackham's rig and everything else is china glass because i just i, I my my banger costs more than my rig let's put it that's that way. that's fair that's yep. that's completely fair actually yeah, that's, like, that's respectable <laughs> no that's actually respectable dude i'm actually like yeah i'm down with that you know as long I've as the rig's got a, got a decent amount of function yeah you know, i got, the, I got the banger. a rig up here that's yeah, um it's it's an old spray can spray paint can but it, you know not an actual can it's in the, that yeah. shape 
you know and the function of it I've, I've always kept it up there because the function is just fucking great drop a nice fucking quartz banger in there and you're good to go man yeah what's the most important part of that that whole system right it's it's what you're putting the dab physically into oh, the oil bitch, physically i just lost into. customers <laughs> i highly doubt that <laughs> i uh i tend to think hmm, no, no, maybe i'm just being argumentative here because <laughs> uh, i like to do that um, let's see so the rig is providing a whole lot of function we all know that they're you know let's i guess focus on dabs here what is what is function well, I mean, whether it's like cool and not cooling it down, not, but but like, it, are, are we really literally talking water, it, cooling it, smoke content, giving you the yeah, giving you the right amount of air? You know, there could be the the neck width, like we've talked the about, pull the pull resistance on it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pull resistance—that's a good way of putting it. So there's um, people that like there's people that like actually like um, dry dabs. Yeah, no water for yeah. sure. For sure, yeah. and like, yeah, look at the the new little Puffco thing. That's not a water based device, right? The, the proxy, little, yeah, the proxy, right? And a lot of people yep. like I got friends that prefer that over the a lot of different things. But so so we got rigs, right? And then and then we like we just talked about we've got bangers, which we know can go anywhere from you know fifteen dollars to fifteen hundred dollars, and I'm sure beyond that. Um, you know, I, I don't know what everyone else is buying. I'm buying basically the eighty dollar ones on sale for thirty five dollars, kind of thing. You know um but and, and there's there's a lot of different things there there's turp slurpers there's auto spinners there's you know different carb caps there's neck widths there there's depths there's widths there's you know marble sets and just everything you can do there and i, I like i kind of agree that maybe that's more important than the rig especially when it, at least when it comes to a dab but i kept thinking i'm like well on my rig, I keep going down the line because there's literally a line attached to it because my daily driver, if you will, outside of my Puffco um, is an email. And so it's it's just always on, always set to a certain temperature. And I'm sitting here looking at Superior Buds below me, making sure he's hitting the right temperature, right? He's got to use his torch, not burn his house down, not light his hair on fire and, you know, pull out that, that, uh, that uh, gun and uh you know no i'm i'm just i'm just, just thinking with ed but, but there's a but, lot of steps <laughs> but, well no it's, it's not even that i'm just thinking is the is the source of heat just as important more important or less important than the banger or the rig because people are doing in this induction heat now um you know of course we've got electronic whether it be email or something like a puffco or some mobile device we've got you know your I'll call it the classic uh, torch method, um, which people get very intricate with that, as we know. And that's probably, the, honestly, the most common method when it comes to dabbers, especially it seems like on the solventless side of things. Um, but like source of heat, I don't know if we talk about that enough. Is that? Say, I don't think it's the. I don't think it's the source of heat, rather than it's more of the consistency of heat. How consistent yeah. that glass stays, and also how yeah. evenly it gets heated up. Versus course, how evenly it gets it down. Quartz, which is why it maintains its heat. And that's where I was kind of going with with your, and, and man, I, this was a conversation that Boy should be sitting here with us again. Um, quality of quartz. So quartz is quartz. I've even heard the man himself, Ron, Ron fucking, Ron Burgundy. 
I can't think of Ron's last name. <laughs> Ron, um, White, Ron Weasley. Uh, no, he's up in Denver. One of the Ron Jeremy. OG. Oh, there you go. <laughs> one of the OGs, of course. Um, when I think of his name, one of the somebody in chat will fucking say it. Um, he said, "Quartz is quartz. It comes down to welds and thickness, you know. And there is a little bit of a fun functionality as well, um, which is why I kind of want to defend defend what I consider uh, they consider a blender style here." Um, the reason I like to hit these is because it gives me a lot. It gives me a very full, it's like a, it's like that sub ohm vapor, you know, it, that's what it is to me. Whereas if I was to just drop it into a bucket or, or an LA high life round bottom or anything like that, while it still maintains the heat beautifully, I would use that generally for more for a low temp flavor saver kind of type dab for the most part. You know, but there are absolutely different, different styles of dabs and different, let's call them thicknesses uh, of 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 hits that you can that you can obtain um, with the different with the different products. Now, source of heat again, fucking this is going to go over heady boy because we've gotten in an argument of pro, you know propane versus butane before. I used to be a protein propane guy. <laughs> have a big old propane torch in the room you know whatever it's fucking just heat is heat right and for whatever he for whatever reason he got me to switch over to the blazer um which is just a little bit more of a safer torch all around but that's a whole other story um and then you got things like the new tsv you know the tsv not new anymore but the, the Terp TSV. yeah the turp survey which is uh uh you know it, it's to be completely honest and they've discussed this as well as it's just a a, a a heat gun that they've disassembled and, and turn it into a, a, a basically a, a heat gun in a kiln ish and um and, and it and it evenly heats your 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 banger and gets used to set for a very evenly temped dab which you can't obtain with these other products like butane and whatnot but you've just got to be more careful about it a lot more educated about it and now there's even uh i think it was d nail came out with and this is very interesting d nail just came out with another one um, which is basically like a kiln, you know, it's got, uh, uh, it looks like a, maybe a ceramic core with a coil around it that you would then, you know, just set your, your banger into it and heat it up. But at this point in time, and, and Hedy Boy and I have a lot of these conversations coming home from our fucking two hour drive to, to, to our subcontracting job every day. Um, at a certain point in time, we're just going back to a fucking email. Yeah. Uh huh. There you go. It's going back to an email. I mean, this conversation is a perfect example of why at like sessions or farmers markets, if you will, that I go to and attend every now and then, is why I have an email on the table for people to try flavors out versus having different rigs or one single rib and having to fucking torch that thing up and do all that whole entire process. Bring an extra it's just more butane and <laughs> yeah, every all of that. It's more convenient, and it's you a, you just get fucking rigs with that goddamn email, and I'm like fucking exactly. Well, that's what I'm saying. I have a sesh rig that costs eighty dollars specifically yep. to to hold that email in there. The email costs more than the rig, <laughs> dude. hundred percent, man. I I've, I've been rocking the same email vending events. Well, I've been rocking the same email since I started dabbing. So I don't know. Yeah, seven eight years, something along those lines. Uh, yeah, I think probably about seven years I bought this email and for almost the same amount of time I've been vending shows 
And for most of a, a large majority of those shows, we gave out free dabs for the entire duration of the show until we ran mm-hmm. out. Same. And I can't probably actually quantify the number of dabs that have gone through this email. And it certainly has been a variety of different rigs and bangers. Yeah. But in the end, the email holds up and it mm-hmm. surpassed any other device I've ever used. It's given more dabs. I mean, got to be approaching a hundred thousand dabs off this one email. And it's kind of a cheat code though, because it does keep the banger at a consistent temperature, regardless of the quality of the banger. And here's my thing is like, if you're going to invest in glass, invest in glass and do it that way. But if you're going to invest in the devices, invest in the devices, because you don't need to invest in the glass. If you're going to invest in the devices. If you have email, you're probably going to chaz your banger because you're leaving that thing mm-hmm. on all day. So you don't want to yeah. buy a $400 banger and throw a freaking email on it, guys. Like go, go on top of it, ones. especially if you like if you're at an outside event and it's maybe a little bit colder than normal and that it's constantly fluctuating, constantly fluctuating. So what are you going to do? You got to bump your email temp yep. up a little bit because so, yep. it's also getting constantly used and getting oil constantly dumped in it. It's dropping that temperature down and the next person shows up and you have it set to 550 and it's at four something because somebody just took a dab off it. It's like, all right, hold on. You got to wait for this email to heat up. You know, that there's that to take into consideration. The devices and the components that are installed in these devices are definitely a thing to take in consideration as well, because you can have an email just as long as you've had your email. I've had mine the same amount of time throughout all the events that I've done, same exact one. And if it's not quality, then you can start dealing with discrepancies in what the temperature readout is compared to what it's actually producing. Mm -hmm. Now, simple, simple situation in that scenario is the cable, the cord. If that gets pinched at any point in time, you're going to have discrepancies in the, in those two endpoints for, the heat being supplied and at the end tail end to what it's actually producing. And sometimes people don't even know that. I learned that the hard way on my first rosin press. I got I got this PID control unit from some fucking random website online that I didn't even really know about at the time and just came across. And it was in Celsius to begin with. That was number one. But I did the math and figured out what I was setting it to. I thought I was pressing that 180. I was pressing that 280 degrees. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Nice. No idea. high while you were pressing it? Just oh, no. I was, getting, I was getting black tar squirted in my face. Oh, no. Because I was fire. on top of that. I didn't realize how shitty my hash was, and there was still moisture in it. So I hammered this thing down, and just, just it would just shoot all over my face. It was horrible. But then I... It was always come out really, really dark and brown. I was like, what the fuck? Something's not right. Because I I had the knowledge about proper harvesting and all of that because I was working with trim then. Um, so something else is going on. So I did some some tests, some R&D with the actual plates that I designed personally. It was my very first set of plates. And this PID controller, and come to find out, it was almost double the temperature that the readout was saying in Celsius. And it's like, well, what the fuck? They were bad components. They were shitty Chinese components. I hate to say Chinese, but they were just shitty components that were in that in that module. And and, and I would have never known that. You know, some other uh, you know ways to test the temperature is always a good way of doing it. And yeah, people have questioned why my email is sitting there at six hundred ten. They're like, doesn't that seem a little high? And I'm like, yes, it does seem a little high. And yes, we are outdoors and there's wind and there's other things I'm competing uh, against. But 
turns out if you take the infrared gun and hit the, the banger it's at 540 degrees which isn't crazy for that you know style of event where yeah we've got at the high types cup we got a line of 30 people waiting for dabs and yeah. we're going you know in five hours we're we're out so it's like yeah the, that email is just <laughs> ripping the entire time and um yeah it's quality components is a huge thing uh it just again it feels like a cheat code for me that you're just kind of paying for like it's 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 not very artistic in the way that you can get with taking a dab um but uh, it comes down to convenience i think for an email mm-hmm. that would make me want to take a dab over here and it's also uh it's also like the set and setting too like at a, at a normal trap sesh farmer's market situation i just i want to get people trying the product that i have on the table so i want right. to get them through and to get them all to experience it I'm at a corner connoisseur event or a cup of some sort or a competition, then obviously, yeah, if I'm maybe sharing people, sharing dads with people, I'm going to take it out of the jar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm going to have my best shit. want to do that on their own rig anyway, you know? Exactly. The, uh, I love at the, uh, actually, if, if you guys are in Michigan tomorrow, I'll be at the third eye craft fair in Michigan, uh, Lansing, uh, at the fledge. But, uh, one of the things they do, which, cracks me up is there's just these buckets around the tables and you know 20 years ago or whatever you'd think these buckets on these tables would have been for cigarette butts but on the side it says q-tips only it's just for q-tips <laughs> so many dabs going i love it i love the buckets full of uh, iso nowadays it's just it's there's there's been so many accidents now because of dunking your hot banger into a, a vat of alcohol and yep I've seen it personally. I've seen fires start. It's next level shit. Thank God fire blankets are a real thing. (laughs) It happened live on Twitch to a Twitch streamer. Really? Oh, shit. Dropped a banger in and ISO (laughs) just went up and time on. Let's not get everybody a fucking heart attack out there that's using their bangers and dunking them into (laughs) ISO. What they're doing is uneducatedly is that a word fucking stupidly dunking a hot fucking banger into iso it's why sometimes you'll hear me you'll even see me fucking look up at the screen and like god damn it because i've got my my uh, uh dab right set to 290 degrees so when it's at 290 degrees then i dunk it into the iso there's actually something. No, it's going to go off here. I'm going to miss my dab, so I have to reheat. There's actually something scientifically, um, and it, somebody somebody said something live um, about this that I would that, that I obviously I follow. But there's something scientific that happens if you if you dunk your quartz in at over over like three or three fifty or, or something like that um, that actually doesn't allow the alcohol to touch the quartz. Because it just boils off faster than it can touch the quartz, so it actually, does, and it actually does damage. And number number one, it can shatter, it can break your your quartz, if especially if it's not quality quartz, quality welds. Mm-hmm. And number two, yeah, it, I, I I heard that before and I didn't believe it. And I've never, well, I mean, I I'll die will dunk a four hundred degree banger ish, you know, but man, some of these people are just going in, you know. To just hit their, they just hit their. Well, dad. let's uh, let's briefly talk about ISO and alcohol. There is a percent, certain percentage of uh, of H two O in it, and I do think that 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 reaction you're talking about 
at that higher temperature is exactly that going on. It's that it's that water content evaporating and boiling off and not allowing the actual the alcohol uh, content to actually touch the glass at that point in time. Because um, what do we use? Ninety nine percent alcohol or seventy percent alcohol? You know, there's, there's still a percentage of water. Yeah, yeah, that one percent is probably that that reaction taking taking place. I assume. Mm -hmm. And I mean, alcohol percentages is application based, but uh, mm -hmm. but for the yeah, for the for the for the bangers here and whatnot, um, I'm going. I'm going ninety nine. Uh, 99. 70, I mean, pretty much 91, 70 is disinfecting purposes. Yeah, totally. 100%. I'm, uh, that's exactly my philosophy as well. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Clean this fucker up. You were talking about your plate being off with temperature, and I had the same experience. You know, it was an, it was an Amazon order for plates with PID controllers. Um, took me about three, four months of pressing to realize, oh, I should probably get a actual temperature on these and they were, they were off. So yeah. just attempts and <clears throat> learned a lot with them. Cheap yeah. Plates. I ended up having to, uh, I ended up having to keep those plates <laughs> and that PID for a while until I can get some proper, uh, proper plates. The, I guess the first legit um, company I worked with was lit extractions out of Canada. It's no longer exists, but they were making these really cool uh, cage plates and also uh, bearing press mounted plates and whatnot. And I ordered a set from them. And instead of having your traditional pin or needle style, uh, uh, thermal coupler or heating element, it had a, a, a plate. So it was like a, I don't know, maybe a three eighths thick by I don't know, three inches or so, yeah, about an inch wide, and they had multiples of those. Area. Yeah, so it had, uh, I think it had, I think it had two of those plates uh, <laughs> parallel with each other along the whole middle of section of the of the plate, top and bottom. Um, so it's just, it heated up the plates a lot quicker than your typical pin or needle style. Um, right. But those were those were great. I mean, that was a, a great press. Uh, the downside was the connections were pretty shitty uh, to the actual uh, thermocoupler. So if they were jolted or moved around, they would break, and oh, that became damn. a hassle because the manufacturer was a uh, was a guy who just wanted to spend more time dabbing on IG than actually doing customer service with his product. So <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> I He's see. no longer in existence, so I can talk shit because that was a, that was an issue. <laughs> but I, 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 not to talk shit on anybody, but the I recognize that dog sticker on that water bottle of yours. Is that yeah? Who is that? That is Dogman Troop. Dogman Troop. That's right. I don't. Uh, I know I used to follow him. I don't know if I do on my current account because Instagram likes to delete us so often. So. I if you're into tattoos, he's got some one of the best chess pieces I've ever seen in my life. Man, I tell you what, going back to the presses, you know, and I've always repped low temp. Um, I just feel like they're, it's kind of like the uh, the blue collar press, you know. Press. Oh, absolutely. Always going to fucking work. Gets the job done. It's great fucking press. It's not. It's not necessarily beautiful. It doesn't have any frills to it, but it's a fucking beat. You can drop it off. I think they actually have videos where they drop it off. The fucking they drove. Truck. They drove over it with a Toyota Tundra. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I have exactly a Tundra. So. I want to do that with that. With that <laughs> I, I've had a, I, my very first official 
legit press was a low temp press. Um, They're just, they're quality. They're, they get the job done. They're function for what I need it to function for. For me and my process and my SOP, it's all about functionality. Yeah. Period. When I'm at, when I'm commercially up at Eden, Eden, that's all it is. Hands down. Rackham's what size bucket do you wash in? I have, uh, it's funny that you mentioned Michigan. I have a 44 gallon S9 Steelworks uh, stainless steel vessel. You've been um, hiding that with your shoulders this whole time, man. That thing's beautiful. Let that thing sail. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. That's a big boy. It's basic. It's uh, it's pretty basic. It is 44 gallons. It's got a false bottom that's about two or three inches up from the the bottom. I originally was about six inches, so I kind of uh, customized his design because they were still in kind of R and D back then when I picked it up, and uh, that was essentially giving this void of about six to seven inches of uh, water below the actual material, which I kind of thought was pointless. But also, I don't think the manufacturer of these was a was an actual hash maker, so he probably just didn't know. Um, so no knock to him because I I appreciate him wholeheartedly. But I made the adjustment, brought it down, um, and uh, lessened my my waste uh, waste of water in that in that sense. But yeah, forty four gallon stainless steel hand washing system. Been using it for. Four years now, four or five years. Nice. How many uh, how many grams of uh, material are you doing at once in like a forty four gallon? With uh, fresh, fresh frozen, frozen, yeah, fresh frozen spe- specifically. If I'm using a lot of ice, which I've uh, actually stopped doing, uh, anywhere between comfortably anywhere between six to eight thousand grams with no ice or very little ice, anywhere between eight to nine thousand grams. Capacity is close to ten, but that's like to the very top yeah, that's a lot of that's a lot of flour mm-hmm. i think the yeah. i think the osprey that uh, that uh, low temp created they they rate it at maximum 22 grand yeah which we don't we don't run much more than 15 in it so yeah i mean that's so the, that's the max capacity what's what's your thoughts on iceless then is that um i'm all about it now Believe it or not, I am. I've I've gone to the dark side with no ice. Um, yeah, awesome. I have There's also now. Let's let's be very clear and concise about this. I have, I use no ice or I use very minimal ice now because my other parameters are at such a low point in their temperature range that I can do what I need to do without ice. Prior right. to that knowledge, you know, or prior to the access of those variables and dialing those in perfectly. Um, or close to perfect as I can, ice was an essential part of our process or my process. I have a consulting company called IWHP, ice, water, heat, and pressure. That's the fundamentals of what we do. But now with technology and also R&D and also the right parameters um, as for, with your environment and your and your tools. Just WHP. We're to realize. Yeah, I mean, I... <laughs> I can't take the eye off, and, but I can still, you know, just make it a it. little eye and then make yeah. a big WHP and pretend like yeah, you're Apple or point. something, you know? Like that's exist. a good point. I, uh, I still I. use ice, you know, like a blue collar. Like, I still use ice, but oh it's in my resin. Blue collar? Did you just say? Yeah, whatever the fuck you want to call it. It's in my ice <laughs> res. It's not in, it's not in my, my, uh, my washing yeah. machine. You know, so, I mean, I'm essentially still... chilling my reses. 
it depends on what and it depends on your SOP and your equipment at hand, right? If you don't have a water chiller, then you need to use ice. Um, if you don't have, if you have uh, capabilities of having an exorbitant amount of ice, you can toss it in the wash. But let's talk about the wash specifically and why there's ice in there or why there isn't ice in there. The fact of of using the ice is one to keep the water cool. And also, too, originally to help with the process of agitation and breaking off those those uh, resin glands off of the capitated stock um, at the excision point, you know. So I I heard there's that about sharp ice. Yeah. So there's different types of ice that you can use. There's a different uh, physical types. Let's say you have your rounded ones with the hole in the middle or you have your half moons or you have your shardy ice or your squares or whatever the fuck you got. Um, it's all at the end of the day, you're still trying to achieve the same process. You're still trying to keep your water cold, keep your material cold, and also use that in conjunction with the mixing apparatus that you have, whether it's a machine doing a vortex or a hand paddle or a mixer with a, with a, with a drill or however you are a top-down agitation, which is now being created through a machines like hashtag and other manufacturers as well. Um, but the evolving into the no ice aspect of hash washing has been a real eye opener as of recently, because now that I've been able to properly maintain my water temperature down to a specific temperature that I choose to, to use, which is roughly around 42 to 45 degrees. Um, I, and that's also a physical, a only reason I can't get it any colder is because of my chiller output. I don't have a huge, big three phase fucking chiller that you can have at a lab setting or some sort. Um, I just, I have what I have and I get it to work, but that having your water down at that temperature and also keeping it at that temperature based off of your, your environmental temps as well, working in a cold room, you then allow yourself to not need as much or any ice at all and you're eliminating that factor, I still feel like there's something to be said for the agitation process and using it as a, a tool in conjunction to the paddle that you're using or, or the, the mixer that you're using as well. But that's still to be determined in a sense. Yeah. I think the science is still not there yet. Um, but it'll come around. I mean, I've just, show, I've only been using no ice for maybe the last four to six months. And so two things it, it makes sense that the ice would help, but maybe only down to a certain level. Because if you're like superior buds and trying to get your temperature below 30 degrees in your water, um, then the buds themselves are probably doing just as much as a chunk of ice would. I imagine I'm just imagining yeah. here. Yeah, uh, the other thing is, I'm curious to know what temperature you do keep your room at because that seems like uh, it can be pretty very you know just such a yeah absolutely there too um it's also the big variable is the fluctuation of temperature not necessarily the the specific temperature that it stays at but what's happening in your room consistently while you're in there because mm -hmm. unless you're in a really really small confined space your room temperature is always going to fluctuate you know somewhere around five to six degrees up and down but like if you have it set to 40 it's going to be 45 at one point it might drop down to 36 38 and go just go back up and down for my specific situation, I have heat sources in my in my lab that I wash in, unfortunately, because of the physical space that I have allotted to me. I have chest freezers in here kicking off heat. I have 
a couple of little tiny fridges, a turp cooler, even though it's a little tiny thing, it still kicks off yeah, heat. Yeah. Um, I do yeah. not press while I'm washing because obviously this thing will kick off a lot of heat. So there's, uh, there's heat sources that are at play that are constantly combating my cool bot and my AC. But to answer your question, I try to keep my room at least at 40, 42 or colder if I can. Obviously summers in the, the Sierra mountains. I mean, it's 120 during the day and fucking 90 <laughs> degrees at midnight. So it's really hard to combat that. But during the winter, I'm down to freezing temps. So it's it's a lot easier to control. Hash making weather. <laughs> I mean, the, the whole point of what we do is to, is is cold. Everything is as right. cold as possible all the time. Save the terps. You know, and that's it's not even just saving the terps. It's also for your manufacturing purposes as well. Everything will just work better at those colder temperatures until you start getting into the post-processing stuff. Um, but yeah, colder the better. My room, somewhere usually around 40, 45, somewhere in that range. My water is in the 40s or 30, between 35 and 40. Um, when it's in the vessel, I use a couple of cups of ice just to kind of maintain that temperature inside the vessel. I'm already putting frozen frozen material in there. So that's usually, I'll usually hit the, the heat gun and it'll say that it's around somewhere between 25 to 35 degrees in the wash vessel. Nice. Um, and I, I also don't use, I don't recirculate my water. And if I do, it's very minimal. It's rinse water. It's not actual hash water that has like 25 micron or smaller in it. Um, I just don't have the capabilities currently to reuse or recirculate my water. So it just goes drained to waste. Uh, plus, I also have a vessel big enough to have on-demand chilled water, so I don't really need to use my reuse my water. Nice. But if you're an instance where, if you're in a situation where you don't have access to chilled water consistently, then using your recirculating your spent water can benefit you. But there's also a topic of a conversation that is involved when it comes to reusing your your water, and that's water saturation. You know, there's a certain amount of water, a certain amount of solids that water can physically hold. Hold on. Are you saying that water is a solvent? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> Nick, now, hold on. <laughs> now, with that you knowledge in my mind, day. I'm going to need you to define hash for us. <laughs> no. So water is, is a solvent, but water is not being used as a solvent in the what well, then the product listen that that's make. beside the point i asked him a question i need him to define hash for us <laughs> i don't know if i could define hash and you're at the same time that's okay everyone um, on mean, the show has to define it for us i'm sorry <laughs> we all we all whether you're solvent based or not or solvent list we we all create hash we all create resident where we all create a product a byproduct of, of hash i guess you could say now with a solvent uh, solvent guy like yourself i feel like you're not creating the true definition of hash or hashish is how we as what we actually do as far as a hash maker because you're liquefying and and melting pretty much everything and on on that uh, biomass uh, but you're still making a form of hash i like to call it a byproduct of hash and that's pretty much what rosin is. Rosin is a byproduct of hashish. Live resin or BHO or shatter or crumble is a byproduct of hash. Because you're taking that hash, putting it into your into your columns, and then doing your process on it, which is turned dumping out a byproduct of that initial product that came in there, correct? 
I mean, the same thing for Sol- uh, I Solvamus. I disagree a little bit there, actually, because we're doing very similar thing in that we're dumping our material into a vessel, much like you guys are. We're using a solvent mm-hmm. that is very different solvent in that it's hydrocarbons. And mm-hmm. what we're collecting on the other side is hash. Um, now, what I will say is, yes, you guys are collecting more of the traditional form of hashish and that it is full resin heads right and you're not liquefying it like we are um but yeah on the other end of that is just the same thing now we might have to purge it a little bit right to get it to where we want it to be i'm um, just like you guys might have to freeze giant it or whatever and then uh you know uh sieve it or whatever you're gonna do from there but uh yeah there's more post processing that can go into it after that and creating different consistencies and whatnot but yeah it's still i would still at that point i would still it's i would say it's still hash so you're saying essentially you're saying that it, it's it's hash, but it's in a different state. For Based sure, there's definitely your, different your consistencies. Um, yeah, it's a liquefied state versus a uh, collected resin gland. That's uh, kind of what I mean by it being like I guess byproduct is the wrong term to use, but that's essentially what I meant by that term. A state. It's because it's, it's, it's initial. It's it's loose resin. Well, it's resin. It's not loose yet on the plant on the biomass. And then you liquefy that and turn that into a totally different consistency or put it into a different state, yeah. which in my guess, I guess my definition would be the just the, just like water kind. and the cannabinoids and, you know, those things that we talked about earlier and they can have a liquid, solid and gaseous form. It's just like, yeah, these things can kind of be collected in different ways, you know, if you totally want. and like calling water a solvent. Like, let's be real. It is a fucking solvent. Mm-hmm. We just need to get past that. It is absolutely a solvent. But as far as a solventless aspect of it we are using it more as a carrier than a mm-hmm. solvent because yeah. that's where water saturation comes into play there we're, we're we're saturating this water with as much as it can stably hold with loose resin and transferring it from point a to point b so we're using it more as a carrier and also a, a temperature t- controlled device if you will to keep that re- loose resin as stable as possible because all we all know as makers, if you're washing something fresh, frozen, or even dried material, for that instance, at, in 75 degree water, you're going to be dealing with some bullshit in those bags. <laughs> oh, so many fats and lipids, guys! Like it's it's the 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 similarities uh, between the yeah. uh, solventless and uh, the hydrocarbon side of things. They're they're just so common like throughout the whole process the temperature is the reason why we keep our solvent at different temperatures if if and here's the thing i i i say that jokingly about water being a solvent i know it is by definition and everything yeah. i say it in jest to guys like yourself and everyone else on this panel that um has a focus on solventless because that is the term that we use right so it's more of just yeah. like a haha um yeah, of course but yeah, it, the, the processes are so similar that I think if we could just get over that, like, whatever that stigma is, um, and and we could come together and focus on just, like, the craft connoisseur, like, producing the best hash possible, we'd be living in a lot better world. That said, we have 13 minutes left. Is there any possible way you can give me, as a caregiver myself and someone that does produce hash, if I wanted to flip a switch today and all of a sudden not jump all the way to that 44 gallon, but realizing that a five gallon is too little, can you give me a quick rundown, including a budget that I would need to get a 
not not like a super high level like Pedro or Rackham's or Superior Buds level of solventless hash making, but like if I wanted to dive into it and spend at least I'm gonna say ten thousand dollars, can you give me a rundown of what I would need to go with a twenty bucket setup to get into the game? I mean, you talking about a twenty gallon setup? Yeah, was, yeah, sorry, twenty yeah. gallon bucket setup, but I'm I'm talking all the way from like the where my I'm getting my ice from to the rosin press itself, right? Like all those yeah. kind of major tools. I mean, you I can get you into that for less than five thousand. I was going to say thousands way high. Yeah, that's that's extreme. That's for somebody who has who has money to invest into their craft. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, if you don't have that money to invest in your craft, if you're a, a youngster in a mudroom or your garage. Um, or your living room for fuck's sake or your kitchen um, you probably don't have the means or the ways to to produce that 10k but getting back to your question uh, a couple of brute cans 20 gallon brute cans you know slice a uh, hot knife the the handles off so it's nice and smooth you can go with uh, multiple different manufacturers now for for wash bag systems or real quick on the brute ones we want the white ones right like the 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 food grade ones food grade yeah okay okay yeah ideally yes i mean but it also like you're talking to a fifth grader here you know what i'm saying like i'm just getting (laughs) into hash i might have been growing for 10 years but i you know this is my first solvents conversation you're i'm taking notes right now like our viewers probably are writing down what i gotta go out and buy yeah i mean first things first making the hash you want to have like, if you can't afford stainless steel, then go with your your brute white white food grade brute uh, vessels, twenty gallons, ten gallons, whatever. Um, you can go with, with Rosin Evolution, just as an example, uh, with their bag set, their eight bag set, which has every micron from forty five all the way up to two twenty. Not every, but specific microns between those. Um, it's an eight bag set. You'd have that. You'd have your cans. Um, even if you don't, or if you can afford a little bit more than the cans, you have the Bubble Now Magic washing machine, which I have two of sitting right over here. Uh, it's a 20-gallon wash wash system. It's a, essentially a clothes washing, portable clothes washer. So you can run with that. The, but if you want to stick with hand washing, 20-gallon bags, 20-gallon cans, um, air drying. Now, that's a whole other conversation. Maybe you can't afford a freeze dryer, but let's say you can. You can get a small put it in the uh, budget. home model. Yeah, small home model freeze dryer for I don't know around two k somewhere around there. Um, like your base harvest right with uh, oil three pump, trays oil fee 20, oil free pump. Yeah, something like that. Would you now now yeah. uh, here's why I say a ten thousand dollar plus budget because I know if if I'm gonna do uh, uh, you know, at home, I'm growing in my garage in my basement. I got a tent in my closet, something like that. Yeah, I'm probably just gonna get some Home Depot buckets, some five gallon bags, and just you know, a pack of ice from the gas station. I'm gonna whip up some hash, right? But I'm mm-hmm. talking, yeah, I'm gonna get a, a oil free pump on this, you know, medium size harvest right freeze dryer yeah. or whatever. I'm I'm talking like maybe not the press you got behind you because that thing's badass, but like a good size press and. Here's what I've been told even this week is that the most expensive part of this entire thing is just the environment for your cold room. The fact that yeah. you're going to need to have like those environmental controls, a cool bot, the air conditioning, that right there might be the most expensive thing. So I, I, I just want to go back to that $10,000 plus budget. I know that you can do it for way less, but I'm saying if I got that kind of money, what, you know, 
keep seeing well keep from going. there i mean from from there you're gonna be you're gonna be looking at and now are we sticking with just hand washing and not dealing with machines you know i've, I've heard even the connoisseurs at that 20 gallon bucket level are still doing hand washing because they think it's superior mm-hmm. so i i'm okay with that i'm okay with putting a little labor into the craft you know what i mean okay yeah so you got your hand washing system uh 20 bucket and then from there you need to dry so we already talked about the freeze dryer Moving uh, moving backwards a little bit about your environment, you're going to need a proper AC. That's also going to be determined on the physical size of the space that you're working in. Um, you can't have a 5,000 BTU AC system and, and have a 15 by 15 by 10 uh, room and expect it to be down to 35 degrees, 40 degrees. It's just not, not possible, not physically possible. So now you need to either double or triple that those BTU ratings in the 10 to 15,000 BTU range, which is probably going to cost you a thousand bucks, give or take for a proper AC, whether it's a mini split or a window unit. I think the cool bot runs around anywhere between three to 400 bucks, depending on if you want the Wi-Fi one or not. Um, there's little nuances there. From there, uh, you have proper um, water sources, your filtration of your water sources, um, you can get away with having a two a two stage water filter filtration system, depending on how clean your water is coming out of your out of your spigot from the get go. Whether it's well water, might be a little bit more invested into your filtration. If it's city water, also might be a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, you never know. <laughs> depending on how <laughs> shitty the city water is, uh, but <laughs> nonetheless, filtration is a very vital uh, part of our process. Um, also, the type of water, whether it's well water, city water, RO water um fucking desalinated ocean water that, that's it's all encompass of that that kind of has a bigger spectrum because you can go and buy these filtration systems that are in the market in the industry are geared towards us for thousand to two thousand dollars or you can take the time to do the research kind of how about we were talking about off offline about building your own water filtration system that you can do yourself so don't think that these companies are the only way to get that water filtration, like do the research. But then you have uh, your ice. Um, ice cleanliness is key. Um, in my opinion, the cleaner the ice, the better the product in conjunction with everything else. But maybe you can only get your, you know, your uh, gas station ice. Uh, but maybe if you have a ice maker, ice maker will probably range, you know, brand new anywhere between a thousand to four or five thousand dollars. So let's just call it two or three. You know, depending on the type of filtration the ice maker has, uh, whether it has UV in place or um, the size of the ice maker, the the production of it. Um, So there's that. Uh, Other than that, going from hash to post-production of hash uh, into the rosin realm, uh, I can set you up, anybody up with a rosin press for less than a thousand bucks or less. You can get a 10-ton dake tabletop bearing press, dake, D-A-K-E. You can get it from um, uh, pretty much online from the manufacturer themselves, or I know there's a tool supply place I'm drawing a blank on right now. Um, ha- not Harbor Freight, not not Harbor Freight. Um, I can't remember the well, name off the top I of my head. But... No, um, God damn it. I can't, I'm spacing on the name. My dad used to have their catalog growing up fucking every, uh, every year. Seer. But nonetheless, you can, you can order it <laughs> online. Totally. It's Craftsman. Uh, you can totally order it online, but it's a Dake 10 ton press and you can get caged plates from low temp or other companies who make cage style plates or bolt on plates and attach them for that. I think, for example, 
Rosin or not Rosin Evolution, but Low Temp has the caged four by six plates for somewhere in the ballpark of seven hundred bucks, give or take. And the Dake ten ton press costs three hundred bucks, thousand bucks. You have a killer press that can be used for decades. Is it Granger? Yeah. Yes, Granger. Ah, Thank I you. Knew it. I knew it. Yeah, Granger. <laughs> Yeah, you can get it from Granger's. Um, but yeah, the thousand dollar press that does just as good as this fucking beast over here, or just as good as the actual low temp. Uh, any other press in the market, I wish I still had that press to this day because it didn't. I sold that press to buy the low temp. Um, there, but there's that, and then after that, I mean, chest freezers are pretty yeah. crucial. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we don't talk about that a lot. You Even know, if you're not a grower, freezer. right? Even just as a processor, you gotta have you gotta have a place to store that material. It's not like you're doing it immediately, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and ice I storage mean, is another thing. If you're mm -hmm. stocking up on ice, you have to have, put it somewhere. And and even yep. water, like uh, Rack, uh, Rackham's mentioned earlier, I think it's right behind him. This giant 150 or so gallon water reservoir. Uh, how, if you were able to, how would you keep that chilled? Is it just like a superior mentioned, like a water chiller? Yeah, I mean, I have. Uh, I I recently just bought a water chiller because I was in a pinch, and I bought one from our local uh, grow store. It's uh, pretty much a sump pump fed water chiller so it pumps vertically up into the water chiller and circulates the cold water back down and just kind of consistently runs that process now mind you if you do do that type of setup you need to make sure you're using ro water or better something with very 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 low ppms very low organic material um, the filtration is key at that point too within the ro system and also the pre-filters as well if you do not have very very clean fucking water you will start to grow shit in that vessel. And I did in that exact vessel uh, not too long ago. I was using our well water that was filtered, went on a trip, forgot to unplug the sump pump. The chiller was not on. So it was just recirculating warm water. And then the cord, the power cord that goes in there, obviously has heat going through that cord. Yep. I came back from our, uh, our trip. I cracked open the top and I looked in there and it had about an inch of growth all the way down that power cord. I was like, fuck. I had to drain the whole system. I had to sanitize. I had to rethink what I was doing. It's like, okay, well, here answers my question. I need to run RO water. Like this, I thought I had really good high grade filtration on it, but it was just the fact of not having the RO water. Once I did that, it's been a game changer. Now, obviously, my chiller is not ideal. You would like something that would have probably like a a coil that goes that submerges into the tank that runs your type of uh, either. Um, ethanol or glycol in it mm -hmm. my reason that i haven't done that yet is i for one the chiller that i do have access to it cost about two thousand bucks and also it's a 220 which i haven't installed the 220 outlet here yet so that's an also a power issue can be a problem some yep. bigger chillers are three phase if you don't know what that is look it up but uh the problem with the those type of chillers with the coil going inside is if you don't have those attached properly if god for god forbid or god if this ever happens, you could have a leak. You could have an ethanol leak or you can have a glycol leak into your water. So the only other option is a jacketed vessel. Jacketed vessel, water vessel is the next step up from that. But that's also, then you're probably in the five to $10,000 range just with that specific vessel by itself. Fair enough. Um, we're getting close to the end. So I want to uh, just 
pop one more screen share here now that we're talking about chillers this is the one of the chillers that we use on the commercial side of uber yep. systems this thing rocks over a hundred thousand dollars retail price um, it's insane. there you go yeah but uh hey rackham's we appreciate all the knowledge you dropped on us tonight that was fantastic there's so many questions you answered for me personally i really appreciate that and i'm sure for everybody in the chat and this panel um do us a quick favor for everybody out there uh you know plug it where can we find you what do you got coming up yeah. what's next ig rackham's over here at, uh, at rackham's it's pretty simple um, I also have IWHP underscore LLC. That is my consulting company. You can find that on G. There's really no content on there because I just, it's in the infancy. But that is my future consulting company that I will be doing classes, seminars, and uh, virtually and in person. Uh, aside from that, um, yeah, I mean, I have my sponsors to thank, really, aside from you, gentlemen. Uh, Rosin Evolution has probably been there from day one. Black Label Paper is my parchment ma manufacturer. He's uh, been there from day one. Uh, Terminator supplied me with one of these bad boys. They're about to set me up with a wash system, a machine washing uh, automated system to R&D here this next year. So that's a big, big deal. I am starting more classes here the next year. Um, 2024 is the year of leveling up. So we're going to be doing a lot more classes, a lot more education, a lot more speaking across the whole country. So just stay tuned to the Rackham's page. There's also Rackham's backup. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much uh, the gist of what I got going on. Education, first Appreciate and foremost. You, man. Maybe next time we can get you on uh, with someone from Terminator. I was looking at their uh, their trimmers, and I've always wanted to talk to someone about trimming live plant material for fresh frozen. Yeah, that's uh -huh. a touchy subject. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> I appreciate you, man. Uh, cheers, guys. Make Likewise. sure you hit the thumbs up, like, subscribe, all that good stuff. Until next appreciate Take care, you. everyone. Have a good night.